Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. As we mentioned last week, our book, Goldust, How to Become a More Effective Coach Quickly, is now a year old. And we brought the podcast out afterwards, and we're really excited that we've got the Goldust courses and Goldust mentoring packages available for all of our listeners and anybody that's interested in them. For more information, you can head to our website, www.thegolddustcoach.com, and subscribe to get emails and updates from us and you can find us on twitter at gold dust podcast and now we'd like to introduce today's excellent guest mark bennett mbe mark is a former british commando and senior instructor within the army physical training corps and has spent the last 30 years developing robust and scalable strategies to help improve organizations teams and individuals and this podcast actually has a, a live role play example that wasn't rehearsed and had me wanting to put my boots back on and get playing again. It's a really, really good interview and I'm sure you guys are going to take a lot from it. Welcome, Mark, and thank you for your time to be with us today. How are you? I'm awesome, Keith. Thanks, David. Keith, for inviting me on. Um, nice new podcast, new people. Yeah, it should be interesting. Great. Well, thank you for being with us. Look, uh, Mark, for those less familiar with who you are, could you please share with us a little bit about your background? So short version, Keith. Um, uh, yeah, I joined the army in 1983, thinking everyone would be highly motivated and fit and realized most weren't and most would do everything to get out of physical training, um, take shortcuts. So I got into a bit of trouble as a young kid. Then I met a commando trained soldier and really... I aspired to that, the, the attitude to work hard, one more rep, you know, and, and just loving the tough nature of physical activity. So I went down to the commando course and then became a physical training instructor. And then through that journey, after serving with the commandos operationally, going back to recruit training center, I kind of realized I was pretty useless at my job and went through a journey of change from the early 90s on. Um, and from that period, I started to work in the late 90s with pro teams, super league teams, Premiership Rugby Union, and slowly but surely built up a way of influencing people that influence others to get the best out of them, um, which obviously we'll be talking about. But it's taken a long journey. I turned down promotion in 2006 to leave the military, and since then I've been working um, across education, pro sport around the world, from grassroots to international teams um, and professional teams, and also within the corporate world to support change in interdependent organisations. So, Mark, I'm going to rewind a little bit to the start there. You're a former British commando and senior instructor within the Army and served for 22 years in the military, is that correct? Yeah, 23, yeah, 23, yeah. So during that time, you became a senior instructor running the commando training wing and you were the first person to redesign the preparatory training to focus on uh, developing the mental robustness within soldiers to increase pass rate on 
arguably, which is one of the toughest courses in the British Army. Can you tell us how redesigning preparatory training came about? Yeah, so I'd, I'd already gone through a process. So this was nine years since I decided I need to do better of how to develop and influence people. And what I was finding was that what we were doing was we were pretty much, I'll simplify this, but we were pretty much saying, look, if you can keep up, you'll pass. You know, you keep up with the training we do. You listen to the information. If you learn it and you can apply it, you'll pass. But if you don't, you'll fail. And we were really struggling with pass rates. So obviously I'd already done my commando course in 90. I've now transferred to the MR Physical Training Corps and was running the commando training and in preparing trained soldiers that volunteered for the commando course. And it was clear to me there was a lot of ego around when I'm on the training team, we'll be the toughest training team, you know, and you'll get it tough. And so if you pass when you're with us, you know, you'd have done well. And I really had to change the mindset of the training team to get them to understand our success is maximizing the pass rate. You know, the, the test criteria on the commando course are the test criteria. We don't make them up. But if our aim is to destroy them before they get to the tests, our success criteria is wrong. So it was a big element to change the mindset of the influencers, the training team, before I could change the way we were training them, if that made sense. Which is quite interesting, Mark. So to be able to influence that training team, you've obviously got to have quite a character to be able to do that, strong character. And in the military, there's lots of strong characters. How did you actually shape that? Well, it, it was tough, Keith, because um, the commando regiments, 2-9, Commando 5-9, Commando, it's the Army Commando regiments, are very insular. So they generally, once you get in there, people like to stay there. Whereas with my job as the Army Physical Training Corps instructor, only one of me, and you just you go in for a three-year stint and you leave again. So you're seen as a bit of an outsider. Um, and it was very tough for me to get them to change their attitude. They're going, who's this guy coming in telling us how to train our guys? But then they wanted to break the military marathon Guinness World Record, which was an eight-man team with a Bergen, uh, with boots, uniform, and you had to do on a recognized marathon competition and stay as an eight-man team. So I said, look, I'll help you train guys. And they said, no, no, we'll train ourselves. And within about three, four months, they'd injured most of the team. So the guy who was in charge, the Sergeant Major, said, right, you can take over. So I just saw this as an opportunity. So then I started to use my principles of smart training and smart nutrition, getting them to understand how to, you know, measure the times of how we're improving over a mile, the pacing. And then we did the um, marathon and we broke the world record by 15 minutes. And after that, the doors opened for me. So all the barriers came down and people come and say, Mark, you know, talk to me about what you're thinking about with the commando training wing. Some of the fittest guys in the regiment were obviously on that world record team. So all of a sudden now they were championing me. So it took an opportunity to show the impact to break down those barriers. So I'm pretty tenacious but I'm pretty cool-headed, so I won't get emotionally involved, but I am quite tenacious. So if I know something's right, I'll keep at it. I've got to say, Keith, now now I'm better at explaining myself than I was then, but just having the opportunity to show it worked was the icebreaker in that moment. Having that coolness and the resilience to, to soldier on, you've now spent over the, well, you spent the last 30 years developing robust and scalable strategies and tools to help organizations teams and individuals maximize the performance 
so uh, an influencing now in 2006 which we need to had uh, as you were awarded the mbe by the queen the Ma uh, majesty of the queen for this work in developing these systems mark but can you share with us how these strategies work and more specifically what did they look like in real life terms well, the last part of that question you asked there, Keith, is the key thing for me. I get very frustrated over the years and decades I'm working with. There's a lot of people in industry and within sport, coach developers, executive mentors that actually share great models that look good on a PowerPoint presentation, that sound good in a motivational chat. And everyone may leave the room thinking this is fantastic. I'm highly driven. But actually, they can't apply them. Or they want to apply them, but actually the change is not sustainable, so they just regress back to the role behaviors. So one of the things that I've spent a long time developing is getting people to understand that, first of all, you need to understand where you are yourself, understand the baseline, if you like, what's the reality, and understand what success is, and then help support people first develop their own self-awareness of when they're great every time, when they're great sometimes, and when they're never great, and when they're unacceptable. That self-recognition, then we start to share tools in the real world of application. Okay, let's start working through this. But we, we teach people how to self-review in the moment and afterwards. And we, we support them on this journey of change. So it, based on the principle and the statement I use, Keith, is performance is a behavior, not an outcome. So what I mean by that, and I use that in education, in sports, elite sport, grassroots, and corporate world is... We need to establish what the very behaviors look like at self and then others of what facilitate the outcome we want before we can start focusing on the outcome. So the key thing I work on is developing self-awareness of where the behaviors are. Are they every time, sometimes, or never in the behaviors we need to be successful based on what is it we want to achieve? And that's where everything starts from. So to increase engagement, learning and performance you've you've designed interventions that support change required to embed behaviors and cultures that maximize the performance can you describe what some of the interventions look like in layman terms well yeah so so the in, if you look at there's two elements there david so one is the intervention itself but also then is the the tool steps of application of bringing alive so a standard intervention is always baseline first for me looking at where they think they are and where they are. Their self-awareness with everyone from senior to just the person on the shop floor. And then what we do is we just, first of all, is win the hearts and minds to understanding the vision and, and the commitment and enthusiasm to commit to change once we recognize where the need to change is. And then each week we keep reviewing on that. So we teach people how to self-reflect. So there's a process and a journey and we set up and this may go in a bit diverse, but I'll share it now. We go into it later if you want. I share up a support group. So that may be on WhatsApp, maybe on Slack, maybe on Teams, where groups of up to 10 go together. And in those teams, they agree how many times a week they're hot review themselves, reflect after a meeting, after a practice session, whatever it is where they review themselves first, their behaviors, and then how effective they were interacting with others. And then the other group will, will, in that group, will listen to it and support them on that journey. And what we do is we pick up trends from that. And then we have Zoom catch-ups or face-to-face, -face, more Zoom in this world, where we identify where we are, what's working, what's not, and deal with what's not working first before we move on. 
So the principle of we are where we are, we're ready when we're ready. So what we won't do is go, I've got this PowerPoint planned, I'm going to share it with you anyway. And we'll have five minutes at the beginning having a chat about where we were. No, it's not about that. It's about now we've identified what's working and why we talk about that. So what made that so successful? How can we repeat that? So there's conscious recognition so we can repeat. But also when we've recognized what's unacceptable, we talk about that. All stems from what I call player first, player first, which is the first tool. Player first, player first simply means is the person that's doing reflects first. So this is how I thought I did. This is what I did well. This is what I didn't. This is what I'm going to change, whatever it may be. Then the person that's listening has the interaction. Then player last is the person that's going to go and do it then says what they were going to do. Not me. Remind them. They tell me. And I'm listening. Great. Clarity. So when they come back, when we do that review, the first thing is, as opposed to me talking, even in Zoom, I'll go around each person. Okay, please share your reflection. Then they share, Mark, this is what I said I was going to commit to. This is what this is what I commit to. This is what I didn't. And we break down, as I said before, why it was so good. But then when it was was we didn't, the first question is, okay, what prevented you from being successful? Because we need to talk about that. And we do it in a firm, fair, and friendly way. So it's not me telling them they were wrong, they should have done this. It's an interaction of, okay, why didn't it work? What prevented us? What strategies can we put in place to be more effective next time? And then we work through that. So it may be we get to a point where we've identified a trend, which happens a lot, that we say, right, I'm not going to add anything in this session. Let's just work on now what we've agreed we're going to do, share them in the teams, work with each other, support each other to help each other be successful. And we review again in a week. Mm-hmm. So that in itself, David, is a big game changer with many sports and organizations where people are realizing, wow, when I've said I'm going to do something, you hold me accountable to what we've agreed but you don't get angry with me and you don't take it off me. We discuss it and it's back up to me to recognize what I'm doing well and why, we recognize when I'm unacceptable and we discuss of how we can fix that next time and then we go again. So you're not just chucking information at me. So that's kind of the simplistic version of how we embed the change in the intervention of support. Now you've mentioned several times in there about self-reflection. Now, yeah. There's a possibility that you'll come across people that are not effective or struggle with self-reflection. Maybe it's not true or they just have a hard time piecing it together and understanding where they're actually at in this moment. If you get somebody that's like that, is there a process or a method that can make it easier for them to self-reflect? David, I'd say that's more common than not. Um, in athletes, in coaches, and in business, and in schools, in teachers and pupils. I, I work on the fact that most people can't. And through my experiences, most people are inaccurate in their self-reflection. So one of the things I get, even if I give an example of pro coaches I work with, and I do this with every coach and manager, if it's a corporate, they record a meeting, they listen back to the meeting. And what you'll find is, so if I connect this back to the hot and cold reviews, David, then I'll show the strategy is the hot review is before you've watched or listened to yourself back, you reflect on what you think you did, how well you did at self, first on state, then interaction, and then with the others. And you audit that. So generally I ask people to voice record it. So if it's in Teams or WhatsApp or Slack, you can just press record. And as you're walking out the room or finishing a coaching session, you just go hot review, self, and then others. And then it's just bang, and it goes into the group. So I can listen to it, others can. Then we do the cold review. So the cold review is then, now they watch or listen back. 
based on the same framework of success, now they're going, oh, I didn't realize I said that or I missed that. And then they put in again in the WhatsApp, the Slack, the Teams, and they do their cold review. Guys, cold review, this is me. This is what I picked up that I didn't last time. So now I'm recognizing this. So again, it's not me telling them, it's them reflecting on themselves. So two things happen there is, one, we can identify and they identify as a difference between in the moment and actually now they're reflecting back with a reference, but also the referencing helps them become more aware of what they're not aware of so they can focus on it better next time. So that's the strategy to develop their awareness of reflection. Then I share my action review process. So I share it as a training tool, so, and I share this with everyone, by the way. And the simple process is, is we work on, and I'll just go through the steps, and we may not get into depth, but I'll just share the steps. First step is awareness of state. Am I present? Am I aware? If I'm not, my first process is to regulate my state. What's ideal for me for this situation? Next step is scanning. The scanning is I'm watching, hearing, listening to everything around me. Opportunity, threats of its sport, or just in a meeting. How's everyone's state? Who's present? What's being said? I'm first listening to understand before taking anything in. That's scanning. Then I work through options. So options are basically any option I can go. So even if it's in a conversation, how can I respond to this? If it's on a court or on a pitch, right, what are my options here? I don't do that with any limitations. So unlimited options. Then I talk about variables. What are the influences that will affect the option I'm going to choose? And then from that, I come with a choice. Then I commit to the choice. Then I reflect, did I commit to the choice? Yes or no. If no, I don't review. Conclusion, commit next time. If I committed, okay, how was the execution? How was the option? And I review them separately. Bang, done. So what we do there is a nice measure. So what this actually does, it allows people, one, to be present in the moment before they make a choice, helps them make better choices, gives them data then to actually more self-reflect and allows them not to be emotionally responding to an outcome they're actually reflecting on first did i commit then how was execution then how was the choice so we're breaking down the key factors often the challenge is actually i didn't commit so that is the action review process of share and we use that as a reference in anything so an example of how we can use that is someone might come to you and let's look at business as an example and you're the boss and there's someone that never makes decisions for themselves but you want them to but the problem is you keep giving them the answer because it's quicker so instead of doing that they go boss i'm not sure about this what should i do and we take them through the action review process okay so work through the action review process so what data are you working with so what are your options what are the influences okay so what you're left with great i agree go for that let me know how it goes so straight away now we're helping people think and you go next time do that before asking me. So then, and then at the end, if something's gone exceptionally well or they're not sure or it's gone wrong, instead of us getting caught up, we go, okay, talk to me. How was your state? Then we work through the scanning. Then we work through the options. So what we identify there is we go to the source of the issue if there is one. So imagine this now, if we're looking at rugby and you're a coach on the sideline, a player now has now made a choice you think is a crazy choice, shouldn't make that choice. Traditional coaching is the coach will either shout to the player, you should do this, or even they think they're athlete-led, they'll bring them and go, okay, talk to me about that choice. So two things there. Well, you've pretty much given them the answer because if you're saying talking about that choice, coach only asked me a question when I'd done something wrong. There was only two choices. He obviously didn't like the one I did. Coach, it's that one. Coach goes, yeah, they know, great. But actually actually it's too tricked but what we haven't done is we haven't identified the source of the problem 
if we're scanning now, we can pick up, okay, how's a player's state? And we, you can get to know players, which is a whole different story. But no, their head's down. They've just missed a tackle. They're not present. That's the issue. My intervention is there. Or state's good. I'm now looking at their scan and they're just following the ball. They're not actually scanning. Okay, my intervention's got to be there. Because actually, if they're not scanning well, they won't collect the data, which will influence the options. So what we're doing, like Sherlock Holmes or a brain surgeon, is it's allowing us as an external to spot the source, but it's allowing people itself to give them a, a framework to allow them to make better decisions and self-reflect the decision without the emotions. I've just got a question in regards to that, Mark, and it's, it's a sidebar, but I think it's important, particularly for people who are like this, because we're not all equal. We're all individuals working within collective or working towards an end. How do you work with people that are pretty much action-based? They they can do the action and are working towards achieving this outcome or outcomes, whether it be rugby, football, business, not capable. I say they are capable of articulating the message, but not as clearly as the managers want want them to. How do you work that one? What strategies do you have yeah, in place I, to help that? It's always for me, Keith, is, um, and it's, it, it comes up so common. I always use a process of, look, an action review process or people to reflect. Use it as a skill like you would a hard skill. If they haven't got it, they're not going to get it in five seconds. So sure. what do we do? We get them to see the value in it. We share it with them overtly. And then we support them. And we're patient but relentless in helping them use that tool. Now, a great example is if you look, we use a sporting context and we can use exactly the same with business. I'll give you an example of that if you want afterwards is we're now, we've now shared it. Now we've got a player that is still can be emotional, get caught up in a moment. We ask them to reflect in that. So we haven't stopped the whole play. We just brought them off. Okay, just talk to me what happened over there. And they're going, oh, you know, and they're a bit wishy-washy. So you go, okay, no problem. So then you ask them the questions, go, how would you stay? And they go, yeah, pretty good. Okay, what did you see in here? And they go, well, I saw this. this. Okay, so what were the options that you saw? And all of a sudden, we're guiding them now based on our questions to allow them to get back to it. And all of a sudden, then they go, oh, okay, it was this. Great. I agree. Show me. Next time, you know what's coming. So what we're saying is it's a skill, so people won't get it straight away. But if we make it really clear once they see the value in it, which is important, we share it with them overtly. And we're patient to help them go through the same process. In my experience, everyone has got it. And you'll find people that have really been struggling with confidence to make decisions, all of a sudden going, this is easy, I can do this. It's actually watching and paying attention to what's actually occurring and equally listening to what's coming back in terms of their feedback and then redirecting them towards the direction you want us to go into which is great. Now, Mark, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on slightly. You've travelled extensively with your work and the delivery over your years. You've worked with young, you work with old. But you travelled over to, or you do travel to the States quite a lot, or I've done, obviously not current. Yeah, but not recently. Not, not recently, <laughs> of course. That will free itself up in, in the not-so-distant future. But during this day, you taught some, you taught excellence to a group of youngsters from Cleveland. You actually taught excellence and the PDS rule of three. Now I'm curious as to what there is. Yes, there's two elements to that. And I use the rule of three and excellence with every uh, client I have in every organization at every level up to the elite high pressure situations in sport and business. 
in essence, um, what we're saying is the first thing we share with everyone is we're only asking everyone to pursue excellence in the moment. So excellence in how PDS sees it is doing the best you can with what you have in the present moment. That's it. So a beginner can do that on day one. A Someone that's actually in the Olympic final can do that in that moment. It makes no difference. What we're saying is that is the only expectation. So now we take the pressure off people because when it's being present, so, and so you're asking me not to compare myself with Jill, Sarah, or Jimmy. You're saying it's about me doing the best I can with what I have right now. Yeah. And when we do that, we'll grow. But that's all I'm asking of you. So that's the first thing. So the rule of three is that and now I'll, this grows Keith, the rule of three, but I'll share the simple version. The simple version is rule of three is a framework to our managers, coaches to understand when they're stepping and when they're ste not, but to give people permission to make choices and then to develop peers and other people to support others. So rule of one is very simple. Be excellent. Do the best you can with what you have in the present moment. This is based on you being aware of your state and managing your state. You've been able to use the action review process and just doing that in the moment, be present. Rule of two is my aim is now at two is to help others be the best they can be. So what does that look like? Someone's now unacceptable. They're not aware of it. I reach out to them to help them be the best they can be. So what we have in the rule of three, Keith, we have what I call my three A's. So this is how we use the three A's at two. Three A's is very simple. If someone's reaching out to you, you have to accept. We use the three A's as a guideline. So what we're saying is, first of all, we accept internally. Even if we don't like how it's being said, the intent is to help me get better, so I accept it. Second A is I acknowledge it. So I give them a thumb up, fist punch, hand touch, whatever allowed to go, I'm now acknowledging it. Third is I act on it. So now I commit to the change. So what we're saying is now is one is me being the best I can be. Two is helping everyone else be the best they can be. The three A's is a tool to allow me to actually accept feedback. And then three is the coach steps in. So in a simple term, what we're saying is our aim is we don't want coach to step in. We're saying, so if we use that in sports concept, we're saying, look, we, we want you to be excellent, but we recognize there's times when you're not. There's recognized times when you can't self-manage so you can reach it to for help. And the people around you are there to help you. But let's look at deeper in the context with this keeps, because this is where a lot of people misunderstand the rule of three. The rule of three doesn't just happen. So if you use a sports context or a business is when you're playing on the court or when you're in the office in a meeting, it happens 24 seven. So if I'm in office in corporate now, the rule of three is I want to be excellent. So I need to be present. I'm now coming into work and I'm seeing Sarah sat down and there's something not right about Sarah. Her head's a bit down. She's looking a bit lost or she's getting a bit frustrated. I don't walk away from that. I reach out to Sarah and go, Sarah, and I say whatever we agreed, getting to know each other is how I can help. So maybe let's go for a little walk, cup of coffee. Maybe how are you doing there? Do you need some help right now? I've noticed. And then it, Sarah uses the three A's, doesn't push away. Says, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling a bit now. Okay, well, let's just, how can we help each other through this? So it's not about just in meetings. It's not about just on the pitch. It's about when you turn up for sport, even with young kids, and they're seeing Jimmy's looking a bit lost. Jimmy's looking a bit upset. We haven't even started the warm-up. Stevie sees that, and Stevie walks out to help. So it's, it's a process of looking at behaviors, but also in the context of the hard skill. If you're trying to work something out, a choice or execution, you can't do it, but you've done everything you can to figure out, you reach out for help at two but you do everything you can first to fix it. So there's a behavioral element to the rule of three, but also there's a contextual 
hard skill element to the tech tack part, if you like. And three is, is allowing coaches and managers to go, I could jump in now because it's quicker for me to fix it. But actually, my aim is to develop an interdependent team. So I'm not going to step. I'm going to scan at once. One is unacceptable. I'm scanning it two now. Two steps in, I don't need to step in. Or two hasn't stepped in. I'm just going to pull Billy to the side and go, Billy, what's happening over there? Oh, yeah, it's not right. Can you fix that for me? Yeah, no problem. And you push Billy off. So now I haven't still stepped in. I've influenced others to bring the rule of one and two alive. So that's a simple element, but there's so many layers to it. But as a framework, I'm using it in an international business at the moment, and they've seen it as a game changer. The three A's, accepting feedback from others. The biggest thing with them, and it's the same as in sport and education, for the corporate world is actually what they found is when, when someone, a boss or a peer, was reaching to them or giving them feedback, they thought they were telling them they were doing a bad job and they were bouncing back. There was an emotional blockage. With the rule of three, it's breaking that down. So all of a sudden now they're going, no, 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 they're reaching out with me, but they're doing it when I do something exceptional, not just an outcome based on my commitment to excellence and when I'm unacceptable, but they're doing it because they want to help me get better. And it changes the whole environment dynamics of the, especially with the three A's of the whole culture around an organization. Mm. So it's very much in that situation, Mark, it's the situational understanding that has to take place, both individual situational understanding and in the regard that you'll be helping others. So in rule number one, that person's, got it but then to have the understanding that somebody else might need the help to be excellence afterwards and also from the coach or whoever whoever it is if they're in business that that they have to have a situational situational understanding around everybody because if there's something not going right they go right this person's not got it but that person has can yeah. i intervene and and have a a word to then doing it through a third party yeah, and the key thing you've mentioned there, David, it's really important, is this is only effective if itself you're pursuing your own excellence. So if the manager is expecting his or her people that work for him or her to pursue excellence, but the manager isn't managing their state, the manager isn't scanning well, the manager isn't effectively interacting or making good judgment on what's the right intervention, then it will never work. So this isn't about pointing the fingers at other goes, you should be better at this. You, you should be more committed. It's about, hey, change starts itself. So if I need to recognize how am I in my behaviors and how I interact. When am I every time, when I sometimes, when am I never? Recognize how I need to get better and then put a support mechanism in place to help me be the best I can be in order to help others be the best they can be. So this is where what you'll find is when this builds the right and cultivates in the right way, you'll get a junior person reaching out to someone senior to them and actually their feedback is accepted. So you can see a, a boss of a meeting now, big bosses of, of, of industry and, and a big head coach in a sport start to lose it and have given the most junior athlete permission to challenge them effectively and supportively if now they're unacceptable in the pre-agreed behaviours. And guess what? That head coach has got to do the three A's. So now we're recognizing, I think on one of the podcasts, Alan Keane, a Great Britain basketball coach at the European Championships, he, he shared an element, I think it was quarterfinals or semifinals of the European Championship, where he was losing it last few minutes of the game, very tight game. 
and he couldn't self-control. He wasn't really aware, and if he was, he was dipping in and out. One of the players came up to him and says, Coach, it's one of those times. And that reset from the, the, a player stepping to say that's a coach, he said it was even more powerful than another coach. And it helped him get back to present straight away. But you can only cultivate that if actually you're doing it every time. You can't dip in and out. You don't go, well, we're not going to do it today because I'm having a bad day. No, we need to understand this is tough to integrate. But if we support each other and just focus on what's success for us this week, and just work on that one thing this week, then we review it and we build, then the change happens. I think the challenge with a lot of organizations is someone might hear this podcast and go, rule of three, I'll do that. And they'll share it for a day and they might do it for a few hours. Then they'll ignore it for a week and then they'll bring it back out again in a week. And they think magic's going to happen. That, that, that's not how this works. We identify the most important. We share the value. We share what that looks like. We share how we can review each other and ourselves, ourselves always first. And we support and review through the change. And then we add a bit more. We add a bit more. So we, we build behaviors over time, the same as we would do building a skill over time. We don't expect someone that can't play basketball to be able to beat LeBron James on a dribble and a three-point shot in an hour. It's just not going to happen, is it? So the change starts with self. Yeah. And uh, it's coming across, Mark. It's very much a need-centered approach, this. Yeah. It's an individual it's bespoke, but working again, either if you're working as an athlete on your own, but you're not. There's always yeah. no man in his own island. Yeah. But when you're developing these needs, what are the core ingredients that underpin the actual principles? Well, first of all is recognizing if it's need-centered, we're talking about need, not want. So the need is based on agreeing what I call the lighthouse, so the lighthouse is we agree where we want to get to. So I use the lighthouse because the lighthouse is something that doesn't move. Once you know where it is, that's your reference. So what we're saying is everyone needs to agree what that looks like first. And then contextually, what do I look like in my behaviors to facilitate us to be successful towards the lighthouse? Once everyone agrees that, then you, get, you have to get people to see the value in any change that you're going to do based on need and and as david was mentioning there is you're going to get people that are going to accelerate this and take it on straight away you're going to get people that struggle with it going oh it's another course it'll be out in two weeks i'll just sort of cruise along silently so you've got to un you've got to get them to buy into where is it we're going the value of it what's all our part in it what do our behaviors look like to bring it alive and then agree the what ifs so the what ifs are what if we don't what are we going to agree between ourselves of interventions to help each other be successful? So often where this fundamentally comes from, if I was to simplify it, we need to know what success looks like. We need to know then for everyone where we need to get to, what's the reference. Then we need to know what's it look like at self contextually for each of us. And then importantly, we've got to agree the what ifs. What if it doesn't? What if we're not doing what we've agreed what's the intervention agreement and then we just follow that through and i think this is where a lot of people trip up pre keith because a lot of people if you go into an organization on a wall you've got mission statement and you've got all you know all these great words and i've been into big organizations and big successful sports and i've said okay and i've said to the bosses can you just talk me through your mission statement and they can't even remember it so so for me it's one of these things is look it's not about if it sounds good it's about Whatever we're going to do, it's what we do day in, day out, every time that's going to 
be the facilitators to get us where we want to be. So what does that look like? Contextually, what's it look like for all of us? And then agree what I call the UAEs, the unacceptable, acceptable, and exceptional. What does that look like? And if we are unacceptable, we agree the what ifs. So what are we going to do about it? What do we agree? How are we going to step out? And then we use the, the rule of three again, three A's and other tools. But also when it's exceptional, what are we going to do? So if someone does change in a positive way, when someone does commit to something they haven't before, we need to make sure there's overt recognition of that. Mm. Otherwise, it's going. the only time someone speaks to me is when I've done something wrong, which is horrendous in sport, which is one of the things that I really work on improving within coaches and business. Oh, well, only time boss wants to see me is when something's gone wrong. So we get people and going, boss, just tell me what you want me to do. Because I'm just not going to make decisions. Because if I make decisions, so it's getting people to understand that we've got to recognize both exceptional and unacceptable. But when we're unacceptable, we've got to recognize a what is of how we're going to support each other in those moments. And what does that look like for us? So for me, everything stems from those fundamentals. I've got a, I'm going to throw one at you, Mark. Let's say I'm in within a team and a lot of the group have got it. They're striving for excellence in everything that they do every day, but I'm not intrinsically motivated. Yeah. And I'm not interested in the change for the greater good of myself or the group. How can your system help me in that situation? Well, there's so many questions there based on the words you've just used there, David. So, First of all, why are you there? Let's play along. Yeah, I have no choice. So you're no, you're no choice. Why? Because of what? Who's forcing you to be there? Can't go anywhere else. And I'll use it in. I will use it in a sporting context. Yeah. Um, I'm at a team, and I'm not able to go anywhere else at this moment. Okay, but you you love playing the sport. Yeah. So what is it about the sport you love? Um, I get a, a great sense of achievement when I'm doing something well. Okay, so what, what is, if we looked at, if we took a moment in time now, so we're going to the next practice session, let's just take the first five minutes of the practice session after the warm, warm up. What would you doing well look like? I'd be sharp, moving yep. well, I'd be interactive. Okay, um, yeah, so. Just on those two things there that you've just mentioned things that you're going to do mm -hmm. and but then you've mentioned things that you need to work with others in order to do right so interactive what does that mean to you it would be both helping others and also when i say interactive it would be interactive with myself too okay so when we use the word excellence how would that relate to what you've just described there. So that first 10 minutes of the play, what would excellence mean to you in that moment for you itself? Excellence would be striving regardless of what happens yeah. to continually push to be better in that situation. So when you do that, how do you feel? Excited. Yeah. So what if we can find a way where we can get you as excited as we can, as often as we can in every practice session? Would you be up for that? I'm in. Can I put my? I'll put my boots on. I get my boots yeah, back, so, and I, I'm retired. I, I get playing again now. Yeah. So that's one. So we, we end itself, and then we go into when you said interactive. Then two things to that I'd get into and ask you is what do you need to? What's your part of that success on the interactive? 
when we get into the context of you put a name on it specific you the fact you need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the other players how to make great choices if we can get the best out of the other players it's going to help you play well what does that look like and then i'd reference that back to the rule of three and you'd share with me how rule of one looks, how rule of two looks, and where I need to come in at three. And then we'd agree, well, let's have a go with that this session then. Okay. And I'm guessing, so that I'm going to take you back to the first question you asked. Is there a point where there's a ruthless element that when you say, why are you here? If I either A, don't have the answer, or it's evident that I don't want to be there, that you just say, okay, this isn't the right environment for you. Yeah, so there's two elements to that. And it's not always, I may not always start with the why you're here type question. It was just contextually for you there. It may be, it may be okay, so what, you know, what is it you love about the sport? You know, what is, it, what is it that got you into the sport in the first place? And I have examples actually in golf, for an example, where a, a player who was a national player age group, and he could have been phenomenal, but he hated playing golf. But his dad wanted him to win a major. So, and he was good. You know, he was better than the people around him, but he was lazy. So the coaches were getting frustrated. So I had the one-to-one with him and said, Look, you know, okay, so do you, he said, no, I want to be a dentist. In fact, it wasn't a dentist, it was a vet. I wanted to be a vet, he said. He said, but my dad wants me to win, be a pro golfer. So we had to have an intervention with the dad. And then I, the coaches were on my training, so we went through and it was a six-month <laughs> intervention of support. So what they ended up doing was they said to the dad and, and understand, look, there's only two things are going to happen here your child's going to burn out or they're going to start enjoying the game. But the route we're taking now, there's only one choice. Your player's going to burn out because he's not going to enjoy the game forced. So what we said was, said, well, how about this? We start agreeing, we'll select based on behaviours, not based on outcome, which was a big, brave step for this, this team of coaches. So then the players were connecting with that actually I don't want to be. And they go, okay, no problem. So let's take you out you don't have to come but if you change your mind this is the tight environment we're going to build so if you want to be part of this come back next year but right now we'll just take you out but they went through the process of speaking to dad and identifying as i had the question with you to identify did that player really want to be there or not and that player clearly didn't interestingly a year later that player got back in touch and says i want to come back in because i miss the sport and he quite liked the environment and then he actually continued in it so there's been a few, I use a principle of, and I use it a lot with coaches as well, with organisations, is change the coach or change the coach. The same as change the player or change the player. So what we're saying is that is there is a judgment call, especially at the elite level, which is a little bit different, is we've got to say, look, have I done everything I can to help that player be the best they can be and engage? And if I have and the player still doesn't want to, then move them on. Just say, this isn't right for you. That organization might be right, that team, but you're not right for us. That's no problem. But you've got to the point where you've said, I have done everything I can. My challenge is with a lot of coaches is they haven't. They've jumped to conclusions. And a lot of the reason why some players are disengaged is because of the coach's fault. Often they haven't got a good rapport with that certain player. Their style isn't clicking on that player, but they can't adapt their style or, or build the people rapport with that player. So you get this barrier built and it's a self running process. That player's not engaged, they're not listening, so therefore they're no good and it keeps building. So then the coach's behaviour subconsciously are negative towards that player anyway and it builds. Or the other way where coaches are already baseline someone in a day and make a judgment call on someone in a day and not realising is, 
that player, that athlete, that person is a product of their environment over the last five, 10 years. So actually you may not be seeing them because you haven't cultivated the environment to see what the best version of them is yet. So you can't make a judgment in a day or they just judge on outcome, not based on behaviors because they're not scanning for behaviors. So there's a lot of elements to that, David, but the simple answer is, yeah, there will be times when you're just going, you're not right for this situation, but you've done everything you can to help them be the best they can be. But there will be times when you go, hey, you know, this is going nowhere, but both of us, it's a better solution just to, just to move on. So, Mark, in terms of practices now, and dogs. that's fine. Listen, I've got one sat at the side. I've got one sat on my feet as we speak, so we're okay with dogs. So practices, effective coaching practices, what do they look like, in your opinion? Well, success would be, for me, is the coach is doing very little, and the coach is just putting in situations where, where players are growing making great decisions, committing to them, or, or committing to decisions that aren't the right decisions, but effectively evaluating them live, adapting learning and changing live without the need for a stop. So there's, I, I always take stages in sessions. So to simplify it for coaches, and it's not a light, it's not a cut off, by the way, there's light and shades to this, but I clarify the difference between a learning phase, a performance phase, and a competition phase. So what I mean by that is that changes the expectation from the coach and the interaction of the coach with the players. So a learning phase and a simple version, early learning is the players can't do it yet. If we measured outcome, we'd just be failing all the time. So what we develop there is go success for us in this phase is to commit to choices. That's it. We're reviewing that because we're not there yet on anything else. So we're not getting them to get frustrated. Well, it's, oh, I can't kick on my right foot. I'm just going to keep kicking on my left foot because I'm good at that because there's still outcome reviewing based on outcome so learning would all be about that and you can use constraints or drills blockouts again i'm not an anti-drill etc etc and in business you can use frameworks for guidance but generally there's more sharing knowledge and understanding so they understand but allowing them to make decisions based on what they see they can't necessarily execute in competency but we want them to execute with intent so once i make a choice just commit to it so that's learning performance is we can do it now. So then it's in live play situations. We're still making choices and committing, but there's a level of execution now that actually there's a commitment with a competency might not always come off, but actually we're getting there. Then the competition is we're doing everything we do in a competition. So my job as a coach then is to put pressure on you, attempt to catch you out. And you're doing is you're using the very principles that you were going to use in a game. You're not going to use principles that you're not good enough yet to use in a game we'd use that in the learning and the performance phase we wouldn't use that in a competition phase with that because it's something that that i've seen i'm sure we've all seen it with coaches and i'll use it in a in a footballing context where there'll be you might have a group of nine-year-olds let's say where the kids very very early in the development and they, they might be doing something where there is a lot of passing involved it's not work when I say it's not working, they're not getting success if success is defined by getting the ball from A to B. And you'll see the coach on the sideline shouting, Come on, you've got to you've got to pass it there. And I've I've seen it and, and I've had to intervene at times with that too, where it's a case of there are reasons why then why they're not able to. 
in a footballing context, it might be that there's a technical inefficiency currently. They're not proficient enough to get it there. And at that point, that's your responsibility to help teach them. Um, it might be a decision-making thing. It might be because athletically, they can't hit the ball 20 yards yet. But in those moments, they are teaching moments. And it's not for you to say they have to have it from A to B now or next week. It's that there's an improvement over a period of time in and I'll just throw up that in one year's time, that kid can now pass the ball 10 yards and execute what you're asking of now. It's not to say they have to do it now. The aim is to improve them and to teach them. Not to say if they don't do it, we jump on the back and say, why are you not passing it there? Well, let's take a step back and, and look at why. And there's two elements to that, David. Is One element is, and this, I think a lot of coaches trip up on this, is what I mean is when we're developing the competency of the skill, alongside that, even from novice day one, we need to develop the decision-making choice to go with that skill. So instead of going, right, we'll just practice passing. So if we relate to football, pass, pass, pass. But we're not actually developing their scanning and judgment to what choice to use based on what they see aligned to it. We're going to get to a point where a player may, if a coach goes, right, pass over there, that player will pass phenomenally over there. But you put them in a match and they don't know how to make the right choice for the situation because they can't read the game. Mm -hmm. So it's understanding from day one, we want to connect all of that together. And then it's just making sure everyone's pursuing excellence. Everyone's just engaged in what success is. Keep it simple and only review against that, but teach them how to review. So then even you've got young kids, and I've done this with five, six, seven-year-olds, where they're coaching each other live to support each other because we've agreed the success so very simply for them. And that we just they understand what success is and they're just reviewing against that. So then one of the limitations back to what I mentioned before is one of the limitations of coaches is that they have limiting beliefs of what players are capable of, especially novices or young players. And let's face it, from an early age before we go into education, we're exploring, we're decision-making, we're self-evaluating, falling off things, climbing, right? So we're naturally good at that. Then sometimes we go into formal education and there's some great schools out there, but we sit in a room and then we're told what to do and what's right and wrong. We go in then school sport and we've got the coach telling us, right, do this, stand there, do this. That was good, but do this next time and do this. So we've taken away the exploration of thinking so sometimes then we've got to go, well, we've got to refresh that again, retrain it. But we want maximum engagement. And if I can get you to think for yourselves and have confidence in just committing to things, and I've made that simple for you without me having to remind you, then actually I'm doing a great job. And that's that thing about, I call it rubbernecking, is we don't want to develop players or in business and in school where someone does something, then they turn to look at the boss. Is that all right? We want them to know whether that was right or not and adapt live. And then they've got their peers supporting each other, not continuing to look for check and take away the fear. That's a big thing going back to Keith when you ask what success is. Eliminate the fear. So we're saying, look, I want you to see what's in front of you. I want to make a choice and commit 100%. I'll never be annoyed. I'll never have a go if you just make a choice and commit 100%. And I'm cool with that. Even if it doesn't come off, I'm really not interested because this is where we are right now. And if we develop that, cultivate that, and we share the action review process they'll start to actually learn and we just then use the constraints and anything else and scenarios to help them grow but because we've taken the fear away and we've got them to make choices based on what they see and then quantify the choice and their commitment to it 
actually we're cultivating the very world-class skills we want in business, in school, in education, in relationships, doesn't matter in sport, at an early age. And I think this is the missing link in a lot of sport. We get too tech-tack heavy, and that's not what it should be about. So, Mark, if you, we spoke about developing coaches a great deal here. But if you had to list the qualities of effective mentoring, what would be on your list? Uh, well, one is being able to manage your own state, being present, first understanding them being understood. Never, ever make a judgment just based on what you see in front of you. And then always develop to understand the person first. Always be clear, eliminate the gray in anything you agree, and make sure then you follow through on your part of the bargain in anything you agree based on their actions. And, and you've got to be every time. Be patient, be relentless, be every time. But always based on what you agree and never be in and out. Never make judgment. Never jump to conclusions. I mean, for me, they are the big key elements in mentoring, in coaching and managing and teaching across the boardroom. So, Mark, how can the listeners, want, if they wanted to reach out to you, how can they contact you? So I'm, I've made it quite simple. Um, so PDS Coach, Papa Delta Sierra, PDS Coach is my Twitter. And pdscoach.com is my website. And again, PDS Coach on, on LinkedIn. But the website, it's, I'm getting a new one popping up soon, but the, the other one's still live now. And there's going to be online courses. But again, there's my online support that I do for teams, organizations, corporate, business and sport. Um, and also the live interventions, whether it's one-on-one -on -one team or full intervention. So all the sports. So, but there's a bunch of 20, 30 different podcasts. There's videos of me presenting in the free resources. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit there. Mark, I'll base this off the conversation we've had today. I would highly recommend it for people. For me, with the podcasts, I know we mentioned before we started that we love doing them. We get excited because we get to speak to interesting people. And for me, it's the best continued personal development I could have. That I'm, I'm sitting here and asking questions of people that are very experienced and very knowledgeable in their own field. And today, I've, it's been great. I mean, I'm, I'm writing notes. I'll be listening back to this, taking stuff from it. And it's been excellent. So I want to thank you from myself and also from my dad and I'm I'm going to take a wild punt and say I'm going to thank you for the listener for the listeners as well because I'm sure they'll be very similar so thank you for your time today let's keep in touch and hopefully we'll we'll see you and speak soon I've got a question for you David and Keith I always do this forgive me but it's I'm interested in this what's your big take home from this conversation David oh, there's quite a few so the one with the three steps with the excellent so with the excellence so the striving for excellence was a big one for me uh, that's something that i i really liked where you have the the first one striving for excellence in yourself to then move it on and if you see somebody else to help them strive for excellence and i think as a coach instead of seeing person one doing it but then person two isn't and you stepping in can you get somebody else can you get person one to come in and say look billy john over there's he's maybe struggling a little bit or he needs a little bit of guidance i've noticed that you are 
being excellent. You're striving for excellence. You've got it. Can you go over and demonstrate and help Johnny? Is that is that possible? So that that was a a big one for me, and also the um, the one around intrinsic motivation because it, that was that was not planned at all, and it was a real life situation in terms of it was just off the cuff, and the way that you dealt with the situation was um, was something that I'll I'll take away as well. I can see you getting excited there, David, when I was yeah. taking you through that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, for me, Mark, I think the, the clarity, yeah. clarity of your responses based upon our questions and the clarity and the preciseness of your, your questions, which makes it very, very easy for both listening and obviously the learning process. I also think, so change the coach, change the coach, or you either change the coach or you change the coach. It's so simple, but it's extremely intricate. When you think yeah. about it, the simplicity is the genius in that. So in that one where you've got, you change the coach, change the mindset, help them on their journey because they've probably not reached that window of opportunity where they, where they actually feel there's development for them to take place. You open the door and they step through or if they're not ready for that, or they're not, they're not fit for purpose, then we change the coach. Yep. The, the other things which are, are very, very clear to me is just the depth of knowledge that you've got around your system and the strategies that you actually implement. Mm. The things around it, however, are the, in footballing or in sports, the ball does the movement, let the ball move. And where you answered a specific question, we're in, if you're doing a constant practice, so all you're doing is passing it from A to B, we become an expert practicing it from A to B. But however you put a little player in there, they're either opposed or unopposed, they've now got decisions to make. So yeah. the decisions have got to take place through clever practice designs, dropping in these little seeds of verbal vitamins that you've, that you've shared with us through this podcast. Like David, I've wrote, copious notes when one man thinks he knows everything that's the, it's then an opportunity where you find you don't and the more the more i think i know the more and more i find out that i don't thanks for tuning into the goal no thanks podcast, for the opportunity to share i mean for me episode, even if someone takes one thing when they go away even so. if they go on I'm going to reflect and film myself or record myself just to see they're taking one thing away that's going to have a positive impact, not just to them, but how they impact on others, then actually it's priceless, right? So I appreciate the opportunity to share with people that may not have heard some of my craziness. Podcast, And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.